Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Owen Mitchell podcast. My name is Margaret Ryan, but please do refer to me as Maggie. And I'm in the hot seat today as we discuss the state of homelessness and poverty across the UK. Having food on the table and a roof over our heads is a basic human right. Yet in 2020, when the world has become almost unrecognisable, many people are struggling for these simple necessities. It's something myself, along with my colleagues at Irwin Mitchell and the colleagues who assist with the Irwin Mitchell Charities Foundation, are passionate about. This is why this year we want our Christmas donation to go further. We want to create a conversation that echoes in people's minds as we enter into 2021, that you, our listeners, might discuss with your friends and families and see how you might help all of those people who are less fortunate than yourselves. Today, I'm joined by three charities that are at the heart of helping those who find themselves homeless or relying on food banks, perhaps for the very first time. We're joined by Patsy Davies from Manchester Central Food Bank, Ben Richardson, who is the Charity Director of Caring in Bristol, and Ian Wilkins from Crawley Open House. Now, before we find out about the brilliant job that you and all your charities do in assisting those who are homeless and those in poverty in this country, I'd like to start with a simple question. What is it that you love most about working for your charity? Patsy, would you mind answering for me first? Oh, I could could go on forever. (laughs) Um, I think... The thing that I love most about my job is that it's something that I feel so strongly about and sort of the justice of being able to provide food and sort of alleviating food poverty is something that I'm really passionate about and knowing that I'm part of doing good for others when you really can see the difference that it makes. The difference between having food and not having food is not a difference that I expected to see in one of the you know richest countries in the world but alas here we are and so being part of that solution rather than the problem is the thing that I'd say I probably enjoy most about my job. Thank you, Patsy. So it seems like the thing that's most important to you is being able to make a real difference to all the people that you help and being able to see that difference being made on a daily basis to everybody that comes into your charity. Ben, would would you mind addressing that same question for me? What is it that you really love about working with your charity? I think it's something really similar to Patsy. So privileged to work in an organisation just full of passionate people who are determined to do something about homelessness in our city. And as a result, we are an organisation that that kind of is really responsive. I feel can see problems emerge and work in a collaborative ways with other organisations to really kind of solve them. And I think over the last few months, I felt that so, so strongly working in, in a group of people that despite being flung out from our office uh, to the, the, the far and deepest, darkest corners of Bristol have managed to collectively uh, do so much together. So yeah, it feels a real privilege. Thanks, Ben. So Ian, what is it that you really love about working with your charity? I'm going to answer it with a little anecdote, if I may. I was shopping last week at the supermarket and the security guard had a mask on and I didn't recognise him and he called my name out and I went over there and I suddenly realised it was a man who two years ago had lived in our homeless shelter and then he'd moved into one of our move-on houses and now he's in full-time employment and he's got his own little place and he's sorting himself out and he said that was only possible because of my time at Crawley Open House where I, I managed to get my head together and that sort of thing always kind of makes me cry really because that's why we do what we do and that's why I do what I do to try and help people get back on their feet however we try and do that so yeah that's that's why I get out of bed every morning and and work for this lovely little charity. So 2020 has kind of really been a year like no other that we've ever known and I'm interested to try and get how has the pandemic impacted upon your charities and charities as a whole across the UK 
Well, it, it couldn't really be a bigger impact. Uh, you know, I think if you told me at the start of the year that we'd have to basically redesign everything we do overnight and devise a whole bunch of new work virtually overnight, uh, I just wouldn't have believed you. I think, you know, with, with Caring in Bristol, um, what we kind of realised very, very quickly um, during the pandemic was that, that there was a huge hunger crisis hitting uh, Bristol. We had worked together with a, a whole bunch of other homelessness organisations in the city to move people in um, and off the street uh, in, in very quick succession. But there was no system in place to kind of uh, deliver food. We also had a whole bunch of restaurants uh, and, and catering businesses in the city in immediate distress. So, um, you know, we, we've had to sort of work really kind of quickly uh, and collaboratively to, to make sure that, you know, this, this huge humanitarian crisis basically was dealt with um, in a way that, that helped people stay inside, worked with people to, to kind of give them some, some choice uh, in, in this whole kind of tidal wave of change. So I think for, for charities like mine, it's been challenging, but very, very rewarding because suddenly so many of the barriers to collaboration and working together with others kind of fell away because we suddenly overnight virtually needed to do things differently. And I think in Bristol, and I'm sure uh, Patsy and Ian will have similar things to probably say from their, their regions. What came about at the start of the pandemic was, you know, a lot more partnership working, a lot more people kind of getting together, talking to each other and working out how to do, do things differently and quickly. And for, for someone that's a bit itchy like me, it was kind of music to my ears. Um, uh, it's kind of what what almost uh, the homeless, homelessness sector has struggled with in, in some ways is you know, organisations that have existed maybe for quite some time and are very used to doing their thing um, and suddenly required something quite different. Thanks, Ben. Um, and Ian, I assume you've come across similar problems that, that Ben has. Um, do you want to give us an insight into how you found that the pandemic has impacted the work that your charity does and the people that you work with? It's been quite a mixture, really. I mean, it, there's been a huge amount of challenges, but there have also been um, some silver linings. And one silver lining is that the vast majority of people rough sleeping locally to us uh, were temporarily accommodated at the beginning of the first lockdown. Um, so we had almost 100 people temporarily accommodated and we've managed to work with some of those people in their temporary accommodation, some of them for the first time really in living memory. And some of those people have been permanently resettled, which probably wouldn't have happened but for the, um, the pandemic. One interesting thing someone said to me recently was he was one of our rough sleepers who he'd come in for a shower and something to eat. And I said, how are you doing? And, and he said, Ian, nothing much has changed, really. He said, I was homeless and marginalised before the pandemic and I've got nothing to lose you know so he said it's it's people like you I feel sorry for because you've got a family and a house and a job um, and worries and he said I haven't got any of that really so interesting insights you get from people that he said I've got nothing to lose so the pandemic has really not kind of affected that in some ways so so yeah a real mixture I think uh, um, like Ben was saying um, some good things and some real challenges as well. Thanks Ian um, and Patsy how do you think that Covid has impacted your charity and the people that you work with and just touching upon something Ben said he said that there's been a lot more collaborative working have you 
found that that's been the case within your charity? Um, yes, yes, definitely. I think towards the start of the pandemic, when, you know, um, like local authorities realised that this uh, and hunger specifically was going to be a much bigger problem than maybe initially anticipated. There were a lot of food banks in Manchester working with uh, Manchester City Council to distribute those um, food parcels. So that was a major effort in collaborative working um, that really pulled together and saw um, so many more people fed with food parcels. Um, because like like Ben was saying, having to you know change operations overnight, we went from having collections only where people would come and collect a food parcel to change into a delivery model the, the week after. Um, but with the help of the council and their working where we provided the food and they distributed it, it meant a lot less strain on ourselves in terms of handling those um, deliveries and distributions. And that that was a great help. But I mean, whilst, whilst that has been, you know, a positive, all the, you know, businesses working together and community groups, we have been really stretched. I can't, I can't lie there. Um, for example, last year, so all of 2019, uh, we provided one, sorry, 3,122 food parcels, which has more than doubled already. And I mean, I know we're not far from the end of the year, um, but we've not reached the full year yet. And this year we've um, distributed 7,207 food parcels. 2,770 of which have gone to children. So that's more than doubled what, you know, the same, what we did last year, which has been a tremendous effort from, you know, volunteers, donors, staff. Um, so we have we have really, really pulled together um, to distribute those parcels. But it was particularly difficult in the beginning getting used to changing a whole new model because no longer could we have people in the food bank and we were so used to you know having a cup of tea having a chat um, asking people if there was anything additional that we could help with um, you know whether there was anything else that they wanted to talk about or that we could uh, provide signposting information on and because because we weren't seeing people we couldn't we couldn't do that and as well as that another challenge was that at the start of the pandemic because of the bulk buying craze that sort of swept the nation as people prepared to lock down. It meant that, number one, there weren't food items for donations anymore. And financial donations that we were getting, we couldn't spend on things in bulk like we had done in the past because there were buying restrictions placed on a number of staple items that we would usually purchase if we were, you know, if we hadn't had them donated. You know, we, we weren't able to go out and purchase those as well. And as people were encouraged to stay in, it meant that people weren't making those additional trips out to come to the food bank to make the donations. So we did have a two week period where we really did struggle. It was sort of getting to the end of each day. There was no food left on the, the shelves in our um, outdoor storage. But somehow, you know, through through the grace of God and all of our donations um and the generosity of donors we we were able to manage and have now got some quite healthy reserves which should hopefully see us through um what is set to be the most difficult winter on record for food bank so we're remaining optimistic there um but you know whilst we have sort of 
picked ourselves up in those covering the donations and things, you really do sort of think about the growing, growing number of people that are using our service and that need to be supported by ourselves because they can't access that food provision anywhere else. Um, and we've had a number of people saying that, you know, if, if it wasn't for the food bank, they, they would have had no idea what to do or, or where they would have turned. So I'm just glad that we can provide that level of support for a growing number of people. Thanks, Patsy. So it seems like all of you have had to really adjust over the last nearly 12 months and change the way you work and the way you do things. Is there any changes that have happened to take account of the implications of COVID that you think will carry on into the future? We've been working much more closely with other agencies and charities because we've kind of been forced to. And I think some of that has shown up the relative sort of skills within different agencies and charities. And and I really hope some of that continues. So that's probably one of the biggest pluses for us. We've made lots of new relationships. You know, my job really is making relationships with companies and trusts and individuals and schools and places of worship. And and I think at some point or other throughout the crisis, a whole different population of people have come to us and said, crikey, you must be struggling as the homeless shelter locally. How can we help? And and that spirit of sort of cooperation and massive generosity. You know, there's, there's a little lady in Crawley. She must be at least 80. And she jumps on a bus Um, once a week and brings us in two bags of shopping and she has done since the beginning of um, the lockdown the first lockdown and we operate the food bank in Crawley as well so we we, we were always needing food a little bit um, like Patsy Um, but bless her socks you know she she makes probably an hour or hour and a half journey to bring us a couple of bags of Tesco food and she's such a lovely old soul and so you know there are good things to come out of it and and relationships with people like her, um, we really treasure those. And, and, and I think that's one good thing to come out. It has been, in a lot of people, a, a different spirit of compassion and thoughtfulness and, and generosity. Long may it continue. That's a lovely um, story to hear, Ian. Thanks for that. Um, so leading on from that, what are your thoughts on the way that people's, the public's attitudes have changed towards people that are in need, um, either you know, needing assistance with food or um, who are homeless. What the public have seen um, with homelessness, certainly in Bristol, but all across the country, is a huge increase in rough sleeping since since 2010. Certainly in, in Bristol, you know, we had eight to ten people on the streets uh, at the end of the, the uh, 2010. At uh, the end of this, you know, decade, uh, before COVID, we were, you know, hovering around the 100 mark. So, uh, you know, we'd seen, and that's just people that are formally counted, you know, formally counted and rough sleepers. Of course, there's all sorts of other forms of homelessness out there. Sofa surfing, people sleeping in cars, people being uh, kind of supported informally and and in quite a hidden way. So what we know about homelessness is that the people become more and more concerned about it, the more visibly they can see rough sleeping on our streets. Um, what, of course, the pandemic has enabled is us to house, as, as Ian was saying, is us to actually get quite a few people off the streets. Um, and, you know, in Bristol, we've massively expanded uh, the accommodation that is available. Um, there's been additional funding. We've had a lot of joined up work that's tackled some very complex individuals that have been quite entrenched on our streets for some time. The challenge, I think, really for uh, uh, the public and for charities that obviously depend upon the public's generosity is how we work with the public to to take them on a journey and to maintain their interest in the issue. Because rough sleeping is just the tip of the iceberg uh, with homelessness. It's just the visible 
visible 3%. You know, 97% of homeless people are not rough sleeping. They are, are invisible to, to you, know, uh, you know, you don't, you don't uh, step over them on the streets in a, in a very sort of kind of brutal way. So the challenge that we're looking at really as a charity, and I think the sector has as a whole, is how do we get a lot more sophisticated in informing the public for caring in Bristol, we are looking as much at prevention now as crisis and really start, starting to work with our supporters and the, the businesses and companies um, that, that support us on really thinking about how we can reach people before they're at crisis point and what are the interventions we can do in communities where people are at risk of homelessness and might not even yet know it themselves. So it's a big complex area of work, which is quite exciting, which I think in a way, if we can maintain some of the momentum we've maintained around the crisis end of homelessness, that we've seen, you know, some big headway with during COVID, it allows, you know, charities like like mine to actually do some of the work they really want to do, which is not just kind of wrestle with people in crisis, but but actively and proactively reach people before they get into this situation in the first place. Because if you can reach them before they, they end up without housing options, you can do a lot more and it's a lot more efficient um, in, a, in a very simple way. So it, there's all sorts of opportunities that get opened up. However, I'm not saying we have solved crisis. We've got some, some a temporary kind of boost of funding in this space and some very joined up work. We need to maintain that momentum but we, as a sector, we also need to be focusing and joining up as much as possible uh, in the things we're doing to prevent people kind of hitting, uh, hitting our streets. Patsy, you were talking about how because of COVID and people not actually coming into the food bank, that you're, you've struggled to provide people with advice and support that they need. I know you used to provide benefits advice, I think, to some of the people that were coming to use the food bank. How, how are we going to tackle that problem? How are we going to make sure that people are getting the support and the advice that they need to make sure that they don't end up becoming one of the homeless statistics? Yeah, so this is this is a really tricky problem for us at the moment because, yeah, like you say, we're, we're not able to provide the same level of like advice and support that we used to that might have meant that people were you know, only visited the food bank once and then due to some information that we gave them on their first visit, it meant that they didn't need to come back again. So, I mean, some of the things that we're working on are potentially slightly larger scale and it's sort of maybe maybe an ambitious um, campaign, but we're sort of, we're working with the Trussell Trust, which is um, the network that we're, that our food bank is a part of um, on some of their campaigns to look at more structural um, support rather than us just sort of providing advice for other charities that might be able to help with problem X, Y and Z or whatever it was that had uh, meant that they needed to use the food bank. Um, because one of the main things that we see as a reason for um, people needing to use the food bank is sort of just chronic low income um, so one of the campaigns that the Trussell Trust are working on and that we're supporting is the um, Five Weeks Too Late campaign, which uh, is about removing the five-week wait period for universal credit, which is something that is particularly important now um, as you know people on universal credit, the number of people on that benefit has risen so dramatically with sort of redundancies 
that have occurred throughout um, this past year. So more people are getting that benefit than ever, which means that more people are having to wait five weeks for that benefit, um, which sometimes can be longer if there may, is a problem with the application or there's a particular influx of applications. So that's something that we're, um, we're campaigning with the Trussell Trust for as well. And also um, another campaign that the Trussell Trust are running that we're supporting is the Keep the Lifeline campaign, which is asking the Chancellor to keep the £20 uplift on universal credit that was introduced during the pandemic. Um, so we wrote we wrote a letter to the Chancellor to ask that he if he could consider um, keeping that uplift because I think it's planned to end March of March April of next year. So there would be um, the benefit amount would go back to its original value rather than the with the additional twenty pounds that. Um, is currently available and that would for a lot of the people who use the food bank that would be the difference between having to use the food bank and being able to you know having the dignity that you know providing your own shopping brings about um, which is something that's really important to us because we know that people don't use a food bank because they want to they use it because there is no other alternative and without using the food bank a lot of people don't know where their next meal would come from so sort of looking at those more structural issues is something that is massively massively important to us because we in the end want to sort of do ourselves out of a job really we we don't think that food banks should be around because like I say, nothing can replace the dignity of being able to um, choose your own food shopping. Uh, so that's that's something that we're we're really working towards and want to see in the future. Have your volunteers and your charity workers been required to self-isolate or required to work from home? And therefore, they haven't got that that time and that you know face-to-face presence with the service users that use your charity. Yeah, well, it, it's complex. I think. Traditionally, what we've done is we've brought people together um, and we've created spaces where people come together and problems can be shared and listened to and solutions can be devised. And of course, what COVID does is it puts all sorts of barriers up uh, for bringing people together. And, you know, we, uh, like every other charities, ended up uh, having to to sort of deliver services to people where they're at. You know, this this in a way touches a little bit, though, on your previous question of, of the legacy of, of the crisis. You know, one of the things I think we know in Bristol is that there's a lot of people that continue to use crisis services, even though um, they've moved on from immediate crisis uh, in terms of their housing. But um, what crisis services do is provide community. They provide um, contact and relationships and people know things about each other and can look after each other and support each other. I'm a a massive uh, optimist uh, um, like uh, Ian. And I think what what we're starting to explore um, in Bristol is ways we can think about how what what are the the ways we can sort of help people with community and help people with their relationships and their sense of home even when we've been able to move them off the streets we don't want people are uh, coming back to crisis provision and being dependent on crisis provision patsy was talking talking about dignity uh and you know wanting to you know food banks not to exist i i certainly don't want caring in bristol to exist uh, in, in, in a decade's time, it should be long gone. 
Um, but what we need to do right at the moment is to use this point in time to catalyze thinking and interventions that really start to support people to build them into the community uh, that, that they're, they're part of. And, and, you know, something I've been working in the homelessness sector for 15, 16 years, I think it's something we do poorly, is really understand sometimes who uses our services and what their real needs are. Thanks, Ben. Um, Ian, I think you were saying that um, you not only run services for homelessness, but you also run a food bank as well. Is that correct? We do, yeah. So thinking about both of those two different parts of what your charity does, what is your wish list with regards to what the public can do to help you with providing those services and what the public can do to help people who use your services? Uh, There's a number of things, really. Um, I always sort of split it down into one is practical things. Um, Today, if it's been a typical day, then, you know, a dozen or 20 people will have dropped off practical items for us, which is always amazing. We have a, a kind of active wish list going. And at the moment, it's sleeping bags and flasks and rucksacks and and food and and so on so practical support is always massively valued i always say one of the best gifts you can give certainly to us and and i think most homeless provisions is new socks and underwear you know we'll today we'll have probably a dozen or 20 people having a shower in our facility and if we're not careful they put back on the same underwear that they came in with and if you can to use that word again dignify them with a packet of three next boxer shorts or whatever you know massive difference to to to, to them and and their situation um so practical stuff is brilliant financial stuff is fantastic I, i've learned not to be shy to ask for financial support because we, we we need that usually volunteering support is really welcome but we've we've had to stand down all our volunteers at the moment um we haven't laid off any full-time staff but we have laid off temporarily our volunteer um workforce but the last thing is sort of expert pro bono help so a lot of what we do with companies is you know, if you're a, if you're a law firm, help us out. And Irwin Mitchell actually have done this. You know, they have offered us pro bono legal help when we've had a, a family really need it. If you're a dog groomer, offer us some dog grooming. If you're a physiotherapist, offer us some physiotherapy for our clients. You know, that sort of thing uh, is 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 massive for us to be able to access services and, and expert help that we probably wouldn't otherwise be able to afford um, for people. And the last thing to mention is job opportunities. We we this week we've put a young man into a job in a warehouse because we we know the company really well and they're desperate to give people a kind of leg up and and they actually come to us and say, have you got anyone suitable? We've got a vacancy in in the warehouse and and we've put a a young man from one of our move-on houses into a job uh, this week and fingers crossed that it works out but that as has been touched on you know that is for me that's the most sustainable way of getting people out of poverty is to give them the purpose and the resources that a job brings um and if we can get more people into permanent employment and if more people come to us and say look i run a little business and let's talk about taking on one of your guys as an apprentice you know that those are the sorts of areas where people and companies can can very practically help charities like us like Ian was just saying the practical um help is always massively appreciated one thing that i would recommend people to do is to um have a look at what their nearest food bank specifically needs so um 
Trussell Trust Food Banks. There's part of the Trussell Trust website. Um, it's called Find a Food Bank. And if you type in your postcode, you can see what your nearest food bank is. So if you can, you know, it has all their contact details and things like that and reach out to them directly to ask what it is that they need because we're so varied. For example, um, we're at Manchester Central Food Bank always, 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 always in need of tinned fish. <laughs> However, um, we have a neighbourhood food bank who um, can always use more volunteers. Now, we get we get hundreds and hundreds of um, volunteer inquiries, but our um, another close food bank to ourselves doesn't get as many volunteer inquiries. So it's always worth asking each food bank individually what it is that they would find most useful and that can be like food items toiletry items or um, if they need any specific volunteers for a specific project and um, it's definitely always worth reaching out to the food bank directly to ask um, a lot of food banks will also have on their website a, um, a list of their most needed items so it's always worth checking that list I know we update ours quite regularly um, for what we've got massive stocks of and what we're really low on. Um, so definitely check each food bank's website as well, because a lot of them will have similar lists um, and it'll give you a really good idea on what it is that you can donate that would be the most useful. Thanks, Ben. So kind of now turning that similar question, but towards what the government can do. So they did a lot during COVID um, to try and help people who were homeless um, and people that needed access to food and banks. Some of those things may have now stopped if they have, what are the most important things that you think need reintroducing? And if they haven't stopped, what are the most important things that you think need to carry on? One of the major things that we would ask for is to keep the £20 uplift um, on universal credit. Because like I said, it's sometimes the difference between someone being able to afford their own food that week. Um, and having to turn to the food bank, which obviously the, the best option for all would be to be able to um, afford their own food. And I think sort of, I'm sure we've all we've all seen and heard of um, the amazing success of Marcus Rashford's appeal. Um, but I, I would I would hope and pray that something similar would continue um, for you know for as long as it's needed. Really, that that sort of food provision to ensure that children aren't going hungry over you know holidays. I hope that that is maintained, whether that's through the voucher system as it was um, over summer uh, or, you know, through a different a different level of provision. But that was something that was uh, massively welcomed by ourselves. But on top of that, I would love to see the eligibility criteria for that kind of thing expanded um, because there were still a lot of children who fell through the cracks of that system and so much so that, you know, ourselves at Manchester Central Food Bank run a holiday help programme where we provide um, like lunch replacements. So it's sort of not like hot lunches, but the ingredients for lunches and things like that to replace the lost meals that children would be getting at school. So that's something that um, that we would really, really welcome because there tends to be sort of a, I don't know, there's a, there's a sort of sense in, in the country today that the responsibility should lie with parents. But I think one thing that people have definitely seen over the last few months has just sort of been that so many people can end up in situations that were unforeseen to them the week prior. And I think it's sort of, it's provided a sense of understanding that 
people don't use food banks because they're uh, lazy or can't be bothered to find a job, you know, all of the sort of detrimental narratives that went on. I mean, and don't get me wrong, there is, there's still a massive stigma around food bank use because some of those um, narratives are, you know, still perpetuated within the media and, you know, within social circles. But I think, yeah, if anything, the sort of the responses of, of government and sort of like figures like Marcus Rashford um, have really shone a light on the fact that this, this can impact anyone. So really, those safety nets should be in place to catch anyone and everyone when they fall because you know as we've seen people falling from you know uh, privileged positions and you know uh, financial security is not that uncommon you know so many people live paycheck to paycheck and without you know with one missed paycheck can be you know, can, can lead into poverty and destitution. And obviously we don't, we don't think that should be the case. Um, so, you know, the improvement of uh, social security, welfare and um, those safety nets to support people so that, you know, poverty and food banks aren't their only choice and charities aren't left to pick up the slack because governments can do it. And, you know, that responsibility to support their citizens and, you know, people who live in this country is is really important to us. And that's something that we really push for um, at the food bank. We'd love to see um, the continuation of, you know, the housing first kind of model, you know, getting people off the streets and into accommodation. That's been really positive for the vast majority of um, of our clients. The, the bit we feel is often missing, you know, it's all very well putting a roof over someone's head, but you, the bit that's often missing is the then caring for them. And charities like Ben's and charities like ours are the frontline sort of agencies that actually have the expertise and the resources to 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 deal with some of these people once they're in accommodation. And I think sometimes the government thinks, oh, we'll just house people and that's a tick in a box and job done. And we would really counter that by saying, you know, it's all very well accommodating people, but there has to be that care element um, around mental health, around addiction, around trauma, around employability, around life skills and, and all that stuff isn't happening as much as it should. And, and, and we would implore the government to invest in those sort of softer social services uh, type functions. Um, I think that's what we've seen. I've been at the charity about 15 years and that has been our experience is a, a lot of the people, you know, someone like a tenancy support officer in a housing project. 15 years ago, there'd have been a lot of those people dealing with people who are struggling in their tenancies for whatever reason. Very few housing associations have those people. They're the first people to go in times of austerity. And, and so our plea to the government would be, you know, beef up the care and support systems um, around housing, mental health, addiction. And like Ben mentioned earlier, you then start to prevent homelessness happening in the first place and people start to thrive and survive in their own homes better than they were doing before. So, but, you know, fair play, the, the government, you know, um, give credit where it's due and, and they did put people, you know, they did put a massive investment into getting people off the street. But let's not make that a one-off gesture. Let's make that something sustainable. And, and some, you know, it's, it's so much easier dealing with somebody in relatively settled accommodation rather than dealing with them in a shop doorway. You know, you can actually have a far more dignified and hopeful conversation when you're meeting their basic needs. It's, 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 it's as simple as that. So, um, so that, that would be what I would say. Thanks, Ian. Um, and Ben, kind of wrapping things up now, um, what's on your Christmas wish list? What's the one thing that you wish um, for your service users or your charity to come true next year? 
Um, I, I, my wish would be that there is not a single person rough sleeping in Bristol next year. And that's a, a very ambitious wish, but I think what what we have seen uh, in the last few months, the eight nine months of this crisis, is that rough sleeping is a political decision. Um, you know, if you are bold enough to allocate the resources. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's the housing-first solutions that Ian was talking about. It's ensuring that that our people in in experiencing systemic poverty aren't pushed over that that sort of edge in the first place. And there's sufficient um, uh, uh, welfare and and work opportunities in our communities. But we can solve this issue. Homelessness is solvable, which is why, you know, charities like ours and food banks and and the rest, they they shouldn't have to exist. So um, what uh, my Christmas wish, I guess, in it briefly would be, (laughs) I'm not very good at brief, uh, briefly would be that we continue this momentum and that we collectively, uh, as a city locally, but nationally, make a decision that actually we're, we're fed up with rough sleeping uh, let's just get rid of it because we can do that. That would be a fantastic wish if it came true, wouldn't it, Ben? Um, if we keep all working hard, maybe you know we'll get there at some point. Maybe if not next year. Patsy, same question to you. What's on your Christmas wish list? What's the one thing you want to come true next year for your food bank and the people that it supports? I'm going to continue with Ben's optimism there um, and just say that you know, probably extremely, extremely bold of me to say, but I hope that we get no one referred to use the food bank. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Um, But the thing that I would love to see is, if at all that people are using the food bank, that it's it's less and less people because those support systems are in place for people who are struggling financially. Things like local welfare assistance schemes becoming more viable options for people and that um, people are more able to access those kind of schemes and that the provision is there for when people find themselves in unforeseen circumstances. Um, Similarly, the increase in the uptake of Healthy Start vouchers, which are um, a voucher that parents can um, redeem for young children to provide um, additional healthy foods such as you know um, fruit vegetables milk things like that Um, which when when taken up by some parents do mean the difference between being able to buy their own food and coming to the food bank Um, so you know things like that in combination you know, increasing the support systems that should be in place for people who are struggling financially and unable to um, put food on the table would mean a great, great number of less referrals um, for us. And so that that would be my Christmas wish and that uh, that no one's going hungry um, in Manchester. Thanks, Patsy. And Ian, last but not least, what's going to be on your Christmas wish list? What's the one thing that you want to come true for um, your charity and the people that it supports? My Christmas wish list at the top of it would be the survival and the thriving of local frontline independent homelessness services um, because they are at risk. Um, we, we, We know that. We work with a lot of them. Uh, we are one ourselves and sometimes the big homelessness charities who are brilliant but the resources sometimes it feels like 
everything goes perhaps to them, not the little guys who've been around a lot of years on pretty much every high street in the UK. Um, so my plea would be support your local, smaller, independent uh, homelessness charities, um, as well as perhaps the, the, the bigger ones, because some of them are in real danger of disappearing if, if we're not careful. And that would be a tragedy um, for the charities and, and more importantly, the people that use them. Thank you to Patsy, Ben and Ian for contributing to a really insightful discussion today and to all of the charities who shared their views with us for an in-depth look at homelessness and food banks, covering some of the social issues, volunteering and what more we can do to help. Owen Mitchell Charities Foundation is committed to helping vulnerable groups and alleviating hardship in our communities. We're making a donation to 25 homeless charities and food banks across the country this Christmas to help those less fortunate this winter. As well as our contribution, we also wanted to give them a voice to talk about the challenges of 2020 and the support and change we need to see next year. Over the festive period, I hope you can spend some time reflecting on what a year it's been and having discussions with your loved ones about the change that you want to see in 2021. Thank you for listening and stay safe. <laughs>